solos number two. Going to do this a little differently, no music. We're going to talk about the show of trial. We're going to talk about how it means so much more than what the current narrative allows for. So when I was in high school, a popular snack from our cafeteria was this thing called a black and white cookie. Um, have you seen one? It's like half black, half white icing, vanilla and chocolate icing on a normal vanilla cookie. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but that's not the point. Um, you know, you know what it is. And now you know what it looks like if you weren't aware of what a black and white cookie was. So that was in a school in Staten Island, um, the forgotten borough of New York City. If I asked you to imagine and consider that that cookie was a depiction or a representation of the United States, would you say that the cookie was diverse? Would you say that something that is exactly half black and half white is you know, an example of something diverse? The obvious answer there is no, it's not diverse. Um, it's not diverse at all. But I would argue that today in New York City, the melting pot of the world, most people and most definitely a majority of its politicians would claim that it was. And why is that? Why have we allowed the powers that be to convince us that you know something as binary as half black, half white is diversity or binary choices, opinions, uh, those are symbols of diversity and progress. How have we allowed those who speak for the masses to argue, to applause? I mean, they uh, gain a, a fame and acclaim for this. They win elections. That we are defined by little else but for the color of our skin or our place on two and only two sides of an issue, of a policy or of a problem on the left versus the right. How have we come to that point? When it comes to Chauvin, I don't have a strong opinion about who the man is as a person. Really, I, I don't care. And I say I don't care because when it comes to the incident and the case that followed, and who he is as a person really shouldn't matter. It should be more about the facts of the case. And he wasn't charged with a racially based crime or that, you know, that wasn't what was alleged by the prosecution. And so who he is, which is probably the only thing that could give insight into whether or not it was a racially motivated, um, you know, incident between Chauvin and Floyd, it just doesn't really apply here. It's not there. Like I said, I don't care who he was. I care more about the narratives that are coming out, the narratives emerging, emerging from this verdict, most of them predictable, almost scripted, totally devoid of reason. They divide, defy objectivity and truth by basically any measure. And yet, this is being celebrated. Nancy Pelosi, she thanked George Floyd for his sacrifice Kamala Harris said she was part of his legacy. There's no more proof that leftists view black Americans as little else than 
a means to scoring political points, then their deification of a man who was a persistent threat to his community, a violent felon, and a criminal, even up to his final hour. It's true, that's not akin to a death sentence. That doesn't make someone worthy of being put to death. But let's be clear about who we're talking about here and who was lost and what was lost on a community. People in tears, save for his family, aren't crying for George Floyd. They're crying to the narrative. They're crying to the tremor beneath the surface. They don't give a shit about George Floyd. That's especially true for the politicians singing his praises. To Democrats, George Floyd is nothing but a means to an end. Same as when they were enslaving black people or destroying their communities and enslaving them today in the 2020s, the same morbid bell of progressivism tolls. It doesn't end. It never changes. So who knows? Maybe the jury got it right with the Chauvin trial in Minneapolis. I don't know. know, Time will tell. I find it hard to believe, though. But let's pretend for the sake of the bigger picture that it was correct. Regardless of the trial's outcome, the premise of the activist movement is false. It's objectively false. Yet it's evolved into this gospel. It's evolved into the word. Black Americans, they're not killed by police every day. In fact, they aren't even killed as often as white people are. So what drives the narrative behind this? We know it, namely it's politicians and their communication wings, 24 hours news media, print media, digital news, every source that's basically work working to push progressive causes and to prop up progressive politicians and to softly prop up the more moderate leftist politicians in the hopes that they'll just cave like Joe Biden does. We've been led down a path that enables emotion and myth to dictate policy and to redefine truth, justice, and liberty. That path is paved in false premises, misleading or entirely irrelevant statistics, and the dishonest, unscientific assumption that progressivism cannot be wrong. But not only can progressivism be wrong, it's responsible for the creation of every problem it claims to be fighting against. The premise of everything behind the mythologies of the present-day race debate <clears throat> excuse me, falls into one of two buckets. Generally, it's bucket one. Because black Americans are X percentage of the population, the number of times they are arrested or met in a physical altercation with law enforcement officers is too high. You know, they are a relatively small percentage. White folks are a bigger percentage. And so it's a disproportionate number of times in which they are the victims or the targeted person in an interaction between civilian and police. If this is not the argument, the alternative is that activists believe white people should be arrested, shot, or knelt on more than they already are. So in other words, the only thing that should dictate outcomes 
with regard to interactions with law enforcement should be someone's race. It doesn't matter what the nuance of the situation is or what happened during the altercation or even if someone is justified or not, or if both sides are wrong. That's also a possibility. It doesn't matter. Is this not the opposite of what activists, politicians, and outlets like the media preach? Does it not defy that narrative? The inane nature of the race narrative leads me to believe that the goal of the movement cannot be limited to, or it cannot be confined to the idea of racial justice. There has to be more to it. If justice is to be sought, the journey is futile if that journey's foundation is built upon fallacy. If the goal is for black people to be killed less than white people, then we're already there. They're already killed less than white people by police. If the argument is for police to kill less people in general, statistics indicate it's very much a a low probability occurrence. When you compare the number of interactions between police and civilians every year with the number of times that ends in violence or even a death, it's minuscule. It almost doesn't exist. And if the argument is that they should never, ever kill someone, regardless of the circumstance, then we've come full circle on this perspective that you know we're, we're at this point where the perspective exists outside of the reality of human nature. That It's not possible to predict that a situation will never warrant or merit the use of, of deadly force. It's ignoring reality. It's ignoring human nature. There's no position along the spectrum of ideas where that final, that last argument can exist. It's not there. So what is the goal of modern activism then, especially with regard to race? I think it's deeper than just this surface concept of black versus white. Even deeper than what we know to be true is that black Americans are a historically marginalized people in this country. Not now, but they have been. And that's had its effects over time. But I think it's more than that. I think the activism movement, the activist movement, has bigger, loftier goals. I think the goal is to remove every standard, every law, every tradition that promotes order. And I think they seek to muddy up society and body and mind to the point it is so gray that it lacks any character or uniqueness at all. Ironically, that kind of liberal mindset that allows for people to believe that race dictates all facets of society, it undercuts their own position. And it makes it exponentially more difficult to draw allies to that cause. To the modern liberal, 100% of officer-involved shootings are unjustified when the victim is black. For that to be true, for their point to be correct and honest and backed by statistics, a liberal must conclude that not only do violent, threatening actors exist, uh, excuse me, that they they do not exist, but that every single black American that interacts with police is exactly the same person. That they say hello the same, or they ignore the police the same, 
or they all run, or they all say this or that, or the issue that brought the police officer to them is always the same. If there's any deviation from that monotony, if there's any deviation from every single black American to interact with police that renders them different in any way, it nullifies the point that it's always unjustified because you just don't know. For the liberal, the only trait that matters is the race. And the only thing that dictates a police officer's action against them is their race. Will liberals at any point recognize how dehumanizing that is? Will they ever come to consider that their position of race is the only thing that matters is not only racist, but that it probably breeds more of it? I contend that racism exists, racism, excuse me, exists because liberals do. I mean, we know it's more than that. We know that people are always going to be racist somewhere. You know, there's, you're never going to cure it. It's not a, really a disease, at least not how it's framed today. But the world's not perfect. The country's not perfect. It's people aren't. That's what makes us interesting. And on the unfortunate side effect is, of that is that in the midst of all that diversity, we have some bad people that can never be changed. But I think that racism exists in this light because liberals perpetuate it. Not because white people do. And if BLM was sincere in burning it down, They'd be burning down the residence of the politicians who have allowed it to get to that point. The politicians who have created that situation. The activists won't do that because they vote for those politicians. I mean, that outcome to burn down the people that they vote for, it's obviously unacceptable to the modern liberal, right? They view themselves as saviors more than they do the sources of the problem. So what they need is a scapegoat. Pseudo-intellectuals point to intangible, unidentifiable things like whiteness. Activists and like-minded politicians and their adherents blame things like power structures, like the police, which aren't a power structure at all, but rather an instrument of one. They're an instrument of politicians, the same politicians who demean them with every breath. The meandering, idiotic road on the way to a world of nothingness as it runs out of steam, requires fresh targets for perpetual outrage. We just saw Dr. Seuss get canceled. Here in Loudoun County, they're talking about ending advanced mathematics in schools. Pete Buttigieg thinks that the literal highways and the roads are racist. Claiming you're not racist when you're targeted and labeled as one is racist. Teaching your kid the value of hard work is akin to teaching them or condoning white privilege and white supremacy. It's lunacy. It's lunacy, excuse me. Nothing is off limits to the modern. Uh, sorry, my notes here. Oh, nothing is off limits to the mob when its goal is to be the destroyer of all things. The nullifier of any and all tradition or order that exists outside of the clench of leftist pseudo democracy. The point of this section is to warn that regardless of the scripts they read you or the supposed decency in the words of pawns like Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, that they won't ever stop 
They'll never do that. And they'll get to you and your family, regardless of where you sit on this, where you stand. They'll get to you eventually. It's the kind of cause that never runs out of victims. Once they run through their first or second batches of them, they'll come for you next. I believe this because I believe them, believe their words, I believe what they say. AOC says the Chauvin verdict wasn't justice and that more will be done. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who argued Chauvin's guilt within hours of Floyd's death, he said the same. BLM activists took to the streets in New York City, chasing white people out of restaurants and claiming that their blend of violent and nonviolent actions enabled a jury to find Chauvin guilty. And you were supposed to sit here and pretend like that jury wasn't tainted. We're supposed to sit here and pretend like that was about the facts of the case. We're supposed to sit here and pretend that we're supposed to believe eight minutes and something seconds or nine minutes of a video is the only thing that's relevant when there was 20 more minutes of interaction between the police and the victim, George Floyd, before any of this even happened. We're supposed to believe that there's no room for context. It's not permitted. We've long passed the the threshold of a world void of reason. And when the mob starts hurling bricks or Molotovs through your window, they won't be asking who you voted for. They won't be interested in the Black Lives Matter lawn sign you display. They'll only be looking at the color of your skin. Concurrently, they'll come for your kids. First in their entertainment, then their classrooms. We've already witnessed both. You laugh now, but in time, your worthiness or even your fitness as a parent will depend upon how much you kneel at the altar of equity and inclusion and social justice and things like that. They won't seek your opinion or your ideas of how to improve the experiences of the marginalized. Why would they? Why would they when they believe they're already right, that you're already tainted? Further, that they can't be wrong and that their hypotheses are unimpeachable. When Child Protective Services shows up at your house, knock on your door and they come to remove your children, thanks to your resistance to something like critical race theory, what'll you do? What's your move? Protest against my words, words like these, that's expected. It wouldn't be the first time someone called me a conspiracy theorist or a crazy right-winger or anything like that, even though I don't really have an affinity for the likes of Q or other extremist outlets. I simply see the writing on the wall here. I don't like it. A lot of you don't like it. So we can't emerge from the Chauvin trial with relief. Maybe temporary relief because there wasn't straight up riot like we had already seen or in the years previously and the destruction that movements like BLM have wrought across the country. The billions of dollars, the lives lost, the people hurt, the officers injured, the innocent bystanders hurt and sent to the hospital. The business is destroyed, never rebuilt. 
But again, this trial wasn't about Chauvin. It was about creating precedent for what comes next. While I remain concerned that a web of lies and actual conspiracy theories about policing and race are going to forever hinder public safety and the effectiveness of police officers, I am equally concerned for a time when these uprisings, built entirely upon myth, are going to show up at the front doors of people like you and me. Recent activism centered on race and policing has opened the floodgates here. The message now seeps into all layers of the social fabric. Haley Joel Osmond in The Sixth Sense, he saw dead people, right? Likewise, progressives today see racism in all things, even when no one else can see that. That's not a virtue. It's not a virtue when it's almost never real. We see this here in Loudoun County every day. Just the other day, uh, school board member Beth Martz decided to talk about the benevolence of the county's quest for equity and education. She affirmed her commitment to continuing to follow the path she was on and to continue to seek equitable outcomes and to work on policy that would reflect that ideal. She followed that up with a pretty common meme that I've seen here and there uh, throughout the years. It's and You've probably seen it too. It's three people trying to watch a baseball game over a solid fence, a wall. The little kids in the scene are too short to see over the fence, so they need more help to boost themselves up. In this case, it's a few boxes. The smallest kid has two boxes, the slightly taller kid has one, and the adult has none. And they all get to see the game because of it. But you see, people like Beth, they're simple-minded, as is most of the school board. They hurdle over reason, knocking down those hurdles as they just destroy everything in their path. They hurdle to the conclusion that protest to their ideas is a protest against the concept of equity as a whole. Beth believes that her self-loathing and white guilt enables her to provide those boxes for those kids to see the baseball game. What she'll never get and what she'll won't understand about our protest to her is that we don't see her as the person that provides the boxes. We see her as the person, she and the school board, as the wall. We aren't on the way to idiocracy. We're already there. Educators, unions, local politicians, they'll continue to punish success and erode standards until the baseline for all is exactly the same. Nothing. One would think that trickle-down activism wouldn't or shouldn't touch our schools, but make no mistake, folks like Beth don't even see your kids as people. They see them as numbers or statistics to be reviewed at the conclusion of an experiment. An experiment meant to satisfy or assuage the persistent anger of activists Folks like Pastor Thomas at the NAACP, other politicians nearby in D.C. who maybe sometimes have insight into Northern Virginia and its, and its goings-on, especially in the education system. Everything they do is not is for something else that isn't your children. The parents of those kids, you, are nothing but external pressures on that experiment. You're only beneficial to childhood, to, excuse me, childhood development 
if and only if you toe the lines of critical race theory, false, not even revisionist, but false history and self-deprecating activism. We are here, not approaching the point when you will be considered a failure of a parent should you protest your daughter sharing a bathroom with a boy. We are here, not approaching the point where your disdain for a curriculum that teaches your children to loathe themselves or their ancestors renders you an accomplice to the wrongs of the nation that preceded you by two centuries. Where does that end? When does it end? I got news for you. It never ends. Issues like these, they make me think back to what I was taught as a kid, to the things I was taught about in grade school, the times they tried to inject race into the conversation, all with good intention, mostly, from what I remember, great lessons. I think about how those lessons were reinforced at home, seemingly constantly, always taught that we are to never think poorly of another because of their race or the language they spoke. We were taught to value and love and cherish the melting pot our city was. But of course, no lesson can ever be effective 100%. I don't trust that it was when I was a kid. I don't trust that it is ever. But I do trust that you know, racism, it just wasn't a norm where I came from. I trust it wasn't the norm where you came from. And it's probably not the norm anywhere. And I'm talking about even in you know, the deepest, least educated, least exposed areas of the country where opinion might be the most insular. insular. Excuse me. I just don't think it's true. I don't think that poorly of our people. It's definitely not the norm here in Northern Virginia and its suburban neighborhoods, in spite of the fact that most of these neighborhoods of which I am a resident, one of them are whiter than Casper's ass. But I digress. See, things are getting clearer now. The Loudoun County school boards of the world witness so little racism among the ranks of their neighbors that they must create it. The fabrication is necessary to shroud how the heart of their ethos and their souls is as racist as anything can be. They are the ones who consider race the most important characteristic of an individual. They are the ones who degrade educational standards because they believe your race dictates whether or not one can comprehend, one can excel, one can succeed. They are the ones who believe a meaningless, standard-free equal outcome is more important to fighting inequality than a meaningful upbringing that promotes truth, hard work, stability, and goal setting. Have no doubt, they loathe the stability of your family too. They loathe it even though they'll gladly participate in the same, because they always have. They are the ones who think that you, a middle-class family struggling through a pandemic, are the problem, not the millionaire politicians and activists leading minority communities into squalor year after year after year. They fabricate the reality of the country and the world because, uh, because they are the malignancies present within the system. 
a system that for all its faults is an inherently good one. They are so bad, in fact, and destructive to the point that they regard themselves as saints, martyrs even. Sacrifices to the altar of progressivism, the patron saints of lost causes, saviors to the perpetually oppressed, and yet they are the enemy they seek. They're looking for themselves, and that's why they can't find anything. That's why they can't actually find a viable target. They're responsible, alone. So in the aftermath of events like the Chauvin trial, when emotions are high and the emerging emerging narratives are full of woke snake oil, stay strong in your values. Bear absolutely no respect for the lunacy of the status quo, especially given how destructive that status quo aims to be. You aren't fighting at the beginning. You're fighting right smack in the middle. And together we fight with truth, peacefully, to an end which we define. The futures of our children, the future of liberty and peace for all of us depends on that. To my friends in law enforcement, and I say this as I wrap it up, mostly to my friends back in New York City who are still serving, You are worth much more than the sacrifices you are expected to make by the people and politicians who deem you expendable. You are more valuable than the teachers who teach their students to fear or even hate you. You're better. Get out now. Save yourselves. Continue to serve and love your families in peace because you deserve it. You've earned it. Your city is no longer worth it. The cities around the country doing the same are no longer worth it. Let them burn. To the rest of you, thanks for listening. Kneel to no one. Kneel to nothing. And fight like hell.